The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 391, and in just a little bit, you'll get to hear from Brian Montgomery. Um, Those who who tune in to this podcast frequently know that we typically have an introductory segment and then a middle segment and then a longer segment at the end, but this episode is going to be uh, different due to the nature of my conversation with Brian. Uh, some of you have have heard about this story as it's received uh, national news, but uh, Brian's son Walker sadly uh, took his life due to a trend that is taking place on social media. And so today we discuss that uh, to raise awareness, um, but uh, we also talk about Walker's life. And um, Brian was gracious to come on and to help raise awareness. And um, I just thought, due to the nature of this interview, um, that there's not really a place for any other segments uh, in this episode, and there's not really a place to talk about more of what the what the ministry of RYM is doing, that I wanted to give Brian time uh, to talk. And um, I hope and, and pray that... Um, that you'll receive encouragement from this interview, even though uh, there's tragedy, there's sadness, there's brokenness. Um, those who have been tuning in know that we um, do a series that's somewhat ongoing, um, talking about stories of grace. And, and that is what the story is, that we serve a God who turns beauty out of brokenness. And so I know uh, you'll hear that in this story. And so um, for now, uh, here's my conversation with Brian. Today, I welcome Brian Montgomery to the podcast. Brian, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Um, You know, we are... Uh, approaching about 400 episodes on this podcast that's been going for years, and we have talked about a wide range of topics on this podcast. Some are are lighthearted and others are difficult, and uh, this is one of those very difficult episodes. Um, Brian and I have been uh, corresponding over email, and and then we got to speak a, a little bit prior to this recording. And so it's important for our listeners to know how passionate Brian is to speak on the content of today's interview. Uh, Throughout our our interactions, although they've been limited, again, Brian and I have only corresponded over email and just met a minute ago, but I've been uh, just humbled and amazed at your willingness uh, to talk about something so personal and difficult. Uh, for, For those who are unaware Brian's son, Walker, uh, took his life as a result of a social media trend referred to as sextortion. 
And so Brian and I want to spend some time today talking about this trend in order to warn others. But Brian, I want to begin talking about your son, Walker. Um, I know words cannot describe the, the tragic nature of what you and your family are going through, but an aspect of this tragedy that, that I thought about it is due to the fact that uh, this is how we're being introduced to Walker. And he had a story prior to this event, and as you and I know, because of Jesus, his story does not end there. And so I want to give you time uh, to share about him. And, and I thought as uh, there, there can be so many ways in which you, you jump in to begin speaking about Walker, but I thought, why don't you just begin by, by telling us his full name and the significance of his name? Yeah, so um, Walker's name was Walker Farrell Montgomery. Um, you know, Walker, his first name was um, his mom and I just went back and forth with family names and different aspects of coming up with something and we just liked Walker. It just seemed to fit, you know, and um, as a young man, it definitely fit his personality and his character. And um, he, you know, as a kid, people called him, you know, as you can imagine during an era of Walker, Texas Ranger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks referred to him that way. Um, we called him walkie talkie quite a bit, um, you know, as a, as a, he was a kind of a, little fat kid when he was growing up just like me and um he um you know he grew out of that but it was interesting to see how well his name fit him and his middle name was Farrell F-A-R-R-I-E-L is how we spell it uh Farrell is how we pronounce it that's my dad's middle name and so that's a family name and Walker um was our oldest son so that's where he got his name you know he um kind of a quick story relative to name. So his, his nickname among all his friends was hammer. And he got that name as playing, uh, I think we we're a coach pitch baseball. And uh, we connected on with several parents and, and friends of our family in that, in that, in that ball club as, you know, little kids playing ball do, you know, and all their, all their parents we really liked and got along well with, and uh, they took a liking to Walker and, and, um, Anyway, we were at the ball field one day, and and we were in a game, and uh, our our boys have not ever been. Nothing, I've got another son named Bennett, and they, baseball has not really been our our sport, but they wanted to play, so he was playing, and uh, he got up to the got up to bat, and uh, one of our friends, you know, told him, "Salute, Walker. We really need a hit here, you know." And he said, he looked at him, he said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the hit that ball so hard they're gonna call me the hammer," <laughs> and. He did. He hit it to the fence and I was playing first base and he, you know, he came to first base and he got there and, you know, he was celebrating. And from that point on his, his nickname was hammer. So, um, we're, you know, yeah. So that, that's an interesting story about Walker and, and, um, you know, hammer is, it was always his nickname among his peers, but, um, obviously to his mom and I was Walker. Hmm. Well, that, that's great. And, and I like walkie talkie. That's, that's yeah. that's great. Um, yeah, you want to tell us a little bit more about his his personality? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, Walker was, and I, I mean, I think any parent would probably have an opinion of their kids that's you know that's skewed. Obviously, we're biased. <laughs> sure, sure. But I will say that I mean, of I mean, Walker was special. He really was. He was um, just had a work ethic that was unique to 
kids in general, but especially in our, in the era we're living in today, <clears throat> he loved to work. I mean, that's what, and that's what we do as a family. So our family, you know, we, we farm, we work in ag, we have hunting land, we hunt, we fish, um, several different properties that we manage. And that's on the weekend we're fishing. I mean, we're, we're outdoor people and athletic people, and that's what we like. And that's what we enjoy. Um, uh, both my daughters play softball, Bennett, his brother plays football. Um, but for me personally, outdoors has always been my passion and uh, archery and bow hunting um, is the focus for me personally. And Walker followed in those in that passion. Uh, he picked up football and loved football. But Walker's Walker's I guess if I could put a characteristic on Walker, you have to describe him as a workhorse. I mean, he just he loves to work. Uh, he lo- he's always going to I mean. He isn't the most athletic and he's not the most talented, but he's also always made up for it in what he would put into whatever he wanted to do. Um, and you saw that routinely with him. Um, he was always had a smile on his face. Um, I remember when he was a kid, drop him off at daycare. My wife, the, the, the people, you know, we would pick him up and, and she would pick him up and they would always, you know, comment that he's always laughing, always smiling, you know, just always had a smile on his face. Um, he was special. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to put it other than that. I mean, he was not an average everyday kid. And, um, you know, that's, that's the truth. Um, he, um, you know, as he got older, started to become a teenager. I mean, he was, uh, the two, those two passions, football and the outdoors, uh, Walker had some, I mean, he, he loved football and he wanted to play linebacker. And he, like I said, up until he was about 11 or 12 years old, he was, he was slow and fat, just like his daddy, like I said a while ago. And, you know, I can remember like it was yesterday telling him, you know, look, you'll, you're going to be on the line. That's where you're going to be. So get used to that. No, I want to play <laughs> linebacker. You know, he wanted to be middle line. He wanted to be on the, in the linebacker position somewhere. And uh, that's where he wanted to play. And and he, about 13 years old, he started to slim up and really started putting on a, a little bit of, you know, speed and, and started working. I mean, you could see it wasn't – he didn't – he he achieved what he wanted to this past fall. He got that position and, and was playing it on a regular basis as a 10th grader, uh, competing with seniors for that position. And he, he didn't start the position, but he was playing it a significant amount of time in that position as, and it wasn't because of his talent it was because of his work ethic mm-hmm. um he would work he would work out at school then he would come home we have a, a barn he would work out in that barn in the afternoon an extra workout every day um he was committed to it you know i'd say the other thing that was really you know for me and i love seeing him i love seeing him on the football field but for me the passion was the outdoors and and archery and and um you know, to see Walker, Walker, and I told him this at times, I said, Walker, your accomplishments in the outdoors are much more unique than your accomplishments will ever be in on the football field. And I said, just because you've done some things that most people have never done. And, and just to, you know, just a few of those, I mean, Walker was able at 13 years old to kill a antelope with a, with a compound bow, spot and stalk, uh, 55 yards. I mean, anybody that's, that's listening to this and that understands uh, bow hunting knows that's a, tall task for anybody in a lifetime to get to accomplish um and then last spring walker was able to kill a eastern wild turkey with a bow um compound bow and both of those are are are, like i said those are those are two of the most difficult species um really in north america to kill uh from a from a difficulty you know they're uh, more accessible probably than some but as far as just a tough hunt they're tough and walker um i can remember days where you know, we would be, had been getting up for 
20, 30 days in a row hunting uh, before daylight, and he would be waiting on me in the chair every morning. I mean, he wasn't having to roll him out of bed. He was waiting on me. Um, he was that kind of kid. And so that just to give you, um, you know, who Walker was, I mean, his heart, Walker never, once Walker was saved and baptized, Walker never, um, never prayed where he didn't thank God for sending his son to die on the cross for his sins. Not once. That was his prayer. He ended his prayer that way. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So, um, from a, you know, I can tell you a lot of stories about Walker, but his faith was strong. He loved the Lord. Um, he uh, loved people. And um, that's who he was. Mm-hmm. That is awesome uh, to get that fuller picture of Walker and what what an impressive young man. I mean, to, to hear that work ethic and like you said, uh, can be rare today for sure. Um, so that is that's awesome to hear. And as you said, most importantly, he he loved Jesus. Uh, and you you just talked a little bit about that, but you want to elaborate a little bit more of just his his love for Jesus. Yeah. So um, you know, Walker had lots of friends that that were good influences for him. And, you know, he was active in our youth group. Um, and, and I would say that his love for Jesus was really shown in the way he treated others. Uh, we do this obviously since, you know, you, you don't really know. And I think that's, that's the best reflection for any of us of our love for Jesus is how, how we treat, um, people around us. Um, that's pretty clear in scripture that that's how Jesus tells us to evaluate our own selves. And, and we see the, you know, a lot of times you don't really know what people think about you. you a lot of times in life, you never know, because obviously you, you, you hear a lot of the things we hear after Walker's gone. And I, you know, I, I reflect on that and say, you know, if Walker could have heard this while he was here, would that have changed the outcome? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would say that his relationship with Jesus was reflected in how he treated people. And we hear that routinely about how he was supportive, how he would, you know, be there for the kid that didn't have anybody to sit beside him or was the person to encourage somebody else. And and that personality Walker had um, just showed itself. It was, it was a picture of Christ. And, and, you know, it's, I think that that may be difficult for some people to hear with the position we're setting in today. And I, I've seen that from, you know, a lot of the world out there, they look at it and say, well, how is this possible that a kid could, or anybody could in one hand love God and love the Lord and on the other hand get to the place where Walker did because there's no way to describe what happened to Walker other than a very dark sinful place um but I believe we see that throughout scripture where people get in those get themselves in those spots and and um you know I I I want to be transparent on that on that is that I have no doubt where Walker is I have no doubt about the relationship he had with Christ um, I see the trap that Walk, Walker fell into, and um, that's what it was—a trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian, you're absolutely right. Um, we we do see Christians throughout Scripture that go through all sorts of of dark places. Um, I mean, there's no one, you know, as we read through Scripture, no one comes uh, comes off looking good in Scripture other than Jesus. Uh, it shows brokenness left and right. And so, yeah, just absolutely want to affirm what you're saying. Um, 
If you would, would you please tell our listeners uh, what happened on the evening of November 30th? And I want you to share that in as much detail as you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say November 30th was, you know, a, a day just like any other day for our family. Um, you know, that, that afternoon, Walker um, came home from school. Uh, I picked up uh, Bennett, his brother, um, and, or actually picked up uh, his, he, Walker brought home Bennett and Bennett went hunting that afternoon. And uh, I went to another spot and hunted and Walker uh, was going to come, come home and work out. And he did. And uh, Walker had only had his driver's license, uh, I guess about three weeks. And uh, so um, we all kind of went our separate ways right after school and work. And um, right after dark, I came back and uh, we had supper and, um, you know, just kind of a normal day. We always had supper together. We, um, um, talked about my hunt a little bit, talked about Bennett's hunt a little bit. And, um, uh, I can remember just sitting around our table. We have a large kind of an Island that we eat at every night. And, and, uh, Walker was there the week before, I mean, it was Thanksgiving and it was Walker. I mean, to go back to that work ethic of Walker, I mean, he worked every day during Thanksgiving uh, for one of our local, one of our really close friends. That's a farmer and, um, cleaned equipment all week, him and a really close friend of his. And, and this week was, you know, it was really nothing special. It was just an average day. And I think it was an average day for Walker. It was, I know it was now that we know, we know, but, um, you know, Courtney, my wife, she put, she put everybody to bed that night and, um, she talked to Walker, talked to Bennett, prayed with them. And um, as far as we knew, everybody, everybody went to bed, you know. Um, we didn't what we didn't know. And um, I think, you know, you probably most people have seen my interview on Fox News. I talked about this a little bit. There is um, Walker had access to his telephone. You know, we had talked about some of those things in the past. And, you know, even now with our schoolwork is happening uh, through apps and, and the cell phone. So, uh, you know, I can remember having one conversation with Walker at some point in the past. And, he's, you know, I think he said, well, I, I need to study on my phone. I said, okay, well, we just let it go, you know. So it's, it's it never addressed the issue of Walker just having access to his phone throughout the night. Well, apparently, so the last, you know, if any of us that saw Walker was Bennett, Bennett was in the bed. They shared the upstairs and Bennett's on one end of the upstairs and Walker was on the other with a bathroom in between them. Uh, Bennett saw Walker get up about 10 o'clock or saw him go to the rest, go to the bathroom about 10 o'clock. And, uh, you know, that, that was the last that, uh, we saw Walker. Well, what we've, what we've now learned, um, is that Walker around midnight, Walker received a message from uh someone on instagram and um you know someone he believed was a girl young girl his age very attractive girl and um it was very innocent message it was just hey what's up you know normal teenage talk where you at school just you know hey i'm friends with somebody else you know just they these people use connections to try to give themselves credibility with the person they're trying to scam um and, um, you know, that, that led to a sexual encounter between Walker and this girl, whether she was a real girl or not, we don't know yet. Um, we know that Walker thought she was real, uh, because they opened a video chat and these people are very good at, at, at faking 
all of this information. They're stealing content from people every single day that's part of their scam. Um, so they opened a video feed between uh, Walker and her. Uh, they have this sexual encounter, and Walker doesn't know it, but he's being videoed from the other side. Um, another scam they use i think there's some technology where if it's if they're actually videoing on their phone then it shows you how you're being recorded but uh because these people were using a secondary device walker had no idea that that was happening um as soon as that's over with they immediately began messaging walker for money and um you know at that point i can only imagine walker's thoughts um because what we've now learned is that up to that point, and this is through FBI, um, them searching through his telephone and they've got software to be able to look and see is that up until this point, this had never happened before. Um, there, there was not any, anything in Walker's phone that would infer that there was any, you know, issues with Walker from a depression point of view, from a, I mean, it was a normal kid. Uh, normal conversation about football, looking up scholarships for football, hunting, just conversations with his friends. Uh, everything was normal. And and according to the to our FBI contact, everything from that point prior had never had any anything, no red flags at all in his telephone hmm. until this night. So this occurs around midnight. Then it starts to Walker. They want a thousand dollars. Walker says, I don't have any money. Um you know, they said, we'll get it from your mom and daddy. And he says, well, they don't have any money. Uh, we live in the middle of nowhere. You know, please leave me alone. It's just this conversation of, you know, them going back and forth lasts for about two hours. Um, and Walker, they, they start, what they start to do is sending him a screenshot of the video, just a, just a thumbnail of the video that they have got of him. And they're showing that they're sending that to people in his friend list from Instagram. And, um, you know, he's begging them to stop, please quit. You know, just, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's really gruesome to see the, the lack of empathy these people have. They don't care. They have no depth of care. They don't, they don't care at all. And, um, anyway, they go back and forth until, um, they finally, and they're just, apparently they're just going down the list alphabetically. And they, my wife's name is Courtney. They get to her name. Um, and Walker and Walker believes they've sent these videos. Um, they sent it to my wife, his mother and Walker comes back with, you know, I, I'm just going to kill myself. And, you know, their response is, I mean, of course, up to this point is it, the, the conversation has been as heartless as you can imagine anyway, you know, they're encouraging your life's over. Everybody you love is going to disown you. You know, we're going to destroy your life, you know, never be the same. And they're building this mountain in front of Walker already. And then they get to that point. Walker says, well, I'm just going to kill myself. And they said, well, um, go ahead because you're already dead anyway. And, you know, my reaction to that, I mean, you know, it, there's all kinds of ways you hope that might go. You think that maybe there's somebody in distress that just has to do this because they, they don't have food to give their kids. And I don't buy into that anyway, but I'm just, I'm just, you just want to believe that they're not as evil as you think they are, but you see this conversation, you see, they realize at some point here that they're not going to get paid because Walker, whether, and I, of course, I wish he would have paid to be honest, because it would have bought me some time to hopefully intercept this problem. But, um, 
you know, at this point, you can see there's a time where they realize that there's no way they believe they're still going to get paid because it, Walker would have already paid. His, his panic is as high as it was going to get. But they keep the pressure almost like, and I believe they did want him to do exactly what he ended up doing, which was sometime during the morning hours, um, Walker took his own life. And, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult um, as parents to understand how, I mean, Walker had to, uh, he, you know, he knew the combination to my safe. My gun was in a safe. And um, he knew the combination, but he had to come past, not directly past, but but pretty close to our bedroom to go to that, to go in there and into that, into my office and get that. And it's hard to understand how he couldn't stop and say, Daddy, I just, I need you to help me with this. Um, I understand. I mean, I think that it's very important that we, sometimes we try, I think so many times in these conversations, we, we think, well, it would have been okay. You know, but I think Walker saw that if this information did get sent to the people that he was afraid it was going to get sent to, that the reality is Walker's life would have changed. Maybe it would have been temporarily. I believe it would have been temporarily, but it was going to be a difficult path for him to look those people in the eye, knowing they had seen a video of him doing that. And so that's a real, I mean, that's real. That's not, I mean, I'm not trying, I don't want people to think that, Oh, it would have been just okay. And it, it, we would have made it okay. Absolutely. If we'd have had to move across the country, we would have, but I'm just telling you that the reality is once that line is crossed, that that is a difficult path to walk. And I think Walker saw that and he saw it at a level that is very difficult for us to understand. It's, he was 16 years old and, 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 um, the fear overcame what he could, what he could resist. Um, Brian, you're, you're only months removed from this. Um, how, how are you and your family doing at this point? Um, I would say that it's, I mean, it is a definite roller coaster. Okay. So, um, you know, there's, there's days that are pretty good. We've got three other kids. Uh, my oldest daughter is 18. Um, her name's Caroline. Uh, Bennett is, 13 and Sarah is 11. We have four kids and, um, and now we've got our three kids that are counting on us to be there for them. And I mean, life, I hate to say it cause it sounds like we're moving on, but we're not, uh, life goes on. I mean, there's things that have to be done. Um, and so there's some days that are okay. And there's days that, um, can't, I mean, I guess for me personally, and really I would say this probably for the rest of my family is it seems all those things I said about Walker and all those things, what you think and you have in your mind. Um, it's very difficult to understand how this could be real. And so, you know, that then you wake up and you have to remind yourself of December 1st, when we woke up that morning, that it is real. And it is actual. And this is a, this is a walk that we're walking. And the only way to cope with that is to look past all of that and look to Christ and say, I know you've got a plan in this. And that's so hard. Even that's how, I mean, you know, we talk about the realities around, okay, if Walker would have had a car crash, if Walker would have gotten cancer, I'm not degrading any of those ways of looking at losing a child, 
but um, there's so many complexities to how I view this. I mean, my mind works probably different than a lot of people's, but um, I've got to analyze and evaluate every little piece of data that I've got that's relative to this. And, and I know, and not only from a, you know, from a secular perspective of, you know, this was a real person, a real scheme, a real, you know, issue that our whole country, Christian or not, needs to be aware of. That's on one hand. And then on the other hand is our biblical perspective of, I know God has a plan. Nothing he, nothing in this is going to go unused if we allow him. Um, but at the same time, God had the authority. If he's the God, I believe he is. And he is, he had the authority to stop this and he didn't. And so there's all kinds of struggles in the middle of that. And I'm just being transparent of, of where we are. Um, some days are better than others, but I know this, I know um, he's clearly shown me because the answer, the question that we ask more than any other question in my own mind is God, why? And I don't know why I keep asking it because he keeps saying the same thing. And the, the answer is because Walker is more valuable to me in heaven. And Brian, I knew you would do it needs to be done. So here I am. Well, Brian, thank you for that transparency. I, I think that that is important. Um, you know, so often when people go through suffering, um, those on the outside of the suffering can struggle to know how to help. Um, what do you feel like? I mean, you were just talking about the complexities of this. What do you feel like other people don't understand about this type of suffering? What would you like other people to know, um, even how they can come along and, and help your family? Yeah. Um, I guess what I would, what I would say, so it's a couple of different aspects, but the main aspect that I think about, and I'm, seeking God in this in a way that I don't know how it ends, but, um, I mean, my personality is I want to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody that's walked the same road I'm walking and tell me how you did it. Tell me how you walked this walk. How did it end? When did you see, when did you start to see some traction? You know, all those questions as a, as a man and as somebody that just wants to solve problems, that's how I uh, approach things. And, and uh, what I realized pretty quickly is, um, I mean, that list is really short, number one, of anybody that can relate. But even the ones that can relate, it's um, very few of them have turned. I'm not saying they're not out there, but very few of them have turned their direction toward Christ and really said, OK, God, I need you to lead me in this. And I'm not saying I'm doing that. I'm saying I'm making that effort. Um, you know, one of the things that I found was the prospect, and I think about it like this, the prospect of now that we've come through this and the prospect of having a, what most people would perceive as a normal life is not really reasonable. Um, what's normal? Well, what I like to think is that God says, well, Brian, I don't want, I don't want you to live a normal. I want you to live abnormal. I want you not natural. I want you to live supernatural. And so that perception around supernatural, I want to think about, you know, the guy that is out there, the daddy that's just like me that's out there that says, Brian, I, you know, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm, 
my happiness is gone. My joy is gone. I've got nothing. I'm at the bottom. That's the way. And then several people I talked to had that perception said, look, don't think that you're going to get back to a place where you're happy. Don't seek that. And even joy is going to be hard to find. Your life is going to change. And it was a very dim outlook. Okay. Um, I refuse to accept that. Uh, I may something I, I may, I may end up having to accept it. I don't know, but I know if I do accept it, it'll be because of my shortcomings, not because of what I know the God I serve is capable of fixing this and bringing us to a place that's better than we were before. And I cannot hardly even say that. Mm. But I know he can. And I want that, obviously, for our testimony of who God is. But I know there's people out there just like me that want, they want, they want some hope. Because I want hope. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Hmm. Brian, th- thank you for that. Um, I do think, I mean, you, as I said at the beginning, uh, you know, when I first reached out to you, I was reluctant. Um, I think I gave you multiple ways to, to decline. And um, I was shocked of just how willing you were wanting to talk about this, um, not only to raise awareness, but as you just said, to give people hope. And so the fact that you're sitting here right now talking to me and Lord willing, others will hear this. Um, I know it's going to resonate with others. And like you said, there may just be one person out there who's uh, walking a, a similar road and um, that the Lord can and will use something like this. Well, a friend of mine um, said he, it was kind of in the middle of this thing. We were talking about it and in some of the worst parts of it, um, he, he reminded me of when Jesus was called by Mary and Martha to come. Lazarus was sick, you know, and, and they knew he was going to die if not for Jesus, you know, and um, he, delayed and you know he delayed intentionally i mean and when he did come lazarus had died and you see you know mary and martha and the family and friends they're gathering around and and you know they're they're uh, they're visibly you know upset they're crying you know and and jesus obviously jesus knew what he was about to do he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right. And I mean, he's already in the tomb. I mean, everything's closed up. It's, it's over. And so they're looking at Jesus saying, if you'd have just come a little earlier. And so why did Jesus not just say, Hey, y'all simmer down. I'm fixing to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's going to be fine. He, that's not what he did. He wept. He cried with them and he didn't cry because he missed Lazarus because he knew where Lazarus was and where he's going to be. <laughs> he cried because he loved them. And he cried because he sees our pain, but that pain is necessary to show the power, his power. Because that's all that was. That was about, hey, look, I'm going to show you something about my power, about my character, about who I am that is not, it's not natural. And I had to do this to demonstrate my power. And, but even though I had to do this, 
I still love you and I care about you and I care about it. it hurts me to see you hurt, even though I know I have to do this. And so that's something that's said about the character of God and who he is and about it, the importance of his power being demonstrated in how we live and what we do. And so that brought me some comfort because I see God having a heart for me that, I mean, Brian, you got to do this but he don't take it lightly. He doesn't, he doesn't just say it just casually. Hey, Brian, you got to go do this. He hurts for me having to do this, but the purpose do not ever forget the purpose. And I, it's, it's, these are, this is confusing. I know there's going to be people that's going to hear this that are going to say, how can you say that in spite of your son having committed suicide? How can you even talk this way? But I'm just telling you that God's power will be shown and demonstrated through Walker's life. And I get to be a small part of that. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um, I think you're exactly right. And uh, hopefully this interview is is part of that. Um, just people getting to, to hear uh, the Lord's power being demonstrated through Walker's life. Um, earlier, I know you, you talked about the, the Fox News interview and my parents were the first ones to pass that on to me. And, and what's been interesting is since that aired, um, I've heard from other youth workers who have dealt with something similar, uh, that this sextortion trend is something that's becoming more common. And I think I even read maybe an article uh, that you were a part of that the FBI and DHS have actually called for a national public safety alert. And so since all of this has happened, what, what have you learned about this trend? What, what are some things, I mean, you interacting with the FBI, what are some things you've learned? Yeah. So, I mean, the number one thing that's opened my eyes is how widespread it is. Um, and, and look, you can always, in just about every aspect of life, you can always follow the money. And the reality is a lot of people are paying. There's a lot of money getting transacted in this, in this world. Um, you know, what I'm learning is that people there, they are, we have been, we have been conditioned, um, over a period of time to accept that the world we want to live in is on a telephone and it's not. And so these people are leveraging that. That's really all you can, all you can say is it's a, it's a, they have, we have, especially our kids and it's not just our kids. I mean, we're talking about a friend of mine that directed me to uh, the Fox news interview. He, he's a reporter and he reports on um, the fentanyl crisis. And I mean, the bulk of that, uh, the bulk of that problem is getting transacted through social media. And so, you know, his point was, look, these kids are coming home, going up to their bedrooms, going, you know, their mom and daddy think they're up there working on homework, but they're actually doing a drug deal on their telephone and buying what they think is a Percocet and Adderall. I don't even know what all those drugs are, but those are two he referenced. And they're laced with fentanyl and they're taking it and they're not waking up. Their mom and daddy's walking up there the next morning to find just what we found a son or a daughter that is not with them anymore. Um, but the reality of that is, is, is that we've given our kids access to a tool that has serious ramifications. Uh, I use the analogy, you know, if I got in front of a crowd and I, pulled out my pistol and put a bullet in the chamber, everybody would pay attention. All of a sudden, 
everybody would pay attention to what I was saying and what I was doing, and they would be on full alert. But we walk around with our phones um, that have, and obviously I understand that Walker is the outside example of the worst case scenario. I get that. But there's so many cultural and social things that are getting degraded now because we're seeking approval, we're seeking contentment, we're seeking all the things in life that are fulfilling things in life that we're normally and naturally driven to do. We're seeking those things through a telephone, through a device, and it's not real. But our minds and our hearts don't know it's not real because we've been conditioned to believe it is. And um, especially for our youth, you know, they're not capable of being able to handle that kind of threat and that kind of responsibility without our supervision. And as parents, we don't know. I didn't know this. I didn't know this was even a thing um, that had any kind of serious consequences potentially to it. Um, but things I did know, I did know that social media was addicting. I did know that too much time on the telephone was a problem. I did know all those things, which those were the little things that led to our situation today. And so what I would tell parents is the little to start with the little things that you do know and pay attention. And, and we have to be more responsible with our kids than we have been ref, referring to technology in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I heard you, I think in that Fox news interview, um, highlight two primary concerns and, and one was kind of directed at tech companies. Um, and I, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm not the guy that is out here saying that, that somebody else can fix all my problems. That's, it's not what I'm saying. I've got a, I've got a level of responsibility as a parent. Um, but today's, today's system has allowed tech companies to create a tool that is being used. I mean, it's used a lot for, for everyday stuff. I mean, whenever you produce this, I'm going to put it on my Facebook page so people can see it. Right. And it, so it, so it can be used for good, connecting with family, connecting with friends, connecting with people that you don't see very often and seeing their pictures and what do they have going on? Oh, that's fun. And that's enjoyable. Um, but whenever you start to transact illegal activity through these services, there becomes a degree of responsibility to close those doors. And today, because of the way our laws are written, um, and I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is that they're immune to, um, to liability. And, and the way I describe that, I believe I'm right in this and I'm sure somebody else may can make the correction, but if I'm not, but the way I understand it is there, this section 230 is written very similar. It was written with the intent of a telephone. So in other words, I call you on the telephone and say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z to you. If you don't pay me money, um, you know, the original language was the intent, not that you couldn't sue AT&T because I called you on their telephone. That's not the case here. The case we're dealing with here is that their tool is, is being manipulated and utilized for the very, very purpose of, of perpetrating the crime. And I believe that the reason that we don't have, I mean, as parents, we have very few tools available to us. I'm trying to understand the technology and trying to figure out how to allow my kids to operate in society where it's required, where they're having to do schoolwork on it, where they're having to study on it, where everything is communicated through it. Uh, But I don't have any good ways to allow the good things to happen, but keep the bad things out. And the reason I don't have many of those tools is because there's no incentive to develop those technologies. 
And those technologies belong to these tech companies. So a third party can't just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fix all this and provide it as another service. And the reason is because that would limit traffic on their systems and traffic's how they make money. Um, and so what they've been allowed to do is over time, they've been allowed to create a system that they can spend all of their investment money for things they can sell. If I was running their business, I mean, that, I, I don't know. I mean, you got to think about from just a, these guys are some of them are Christian, some of them are not. Some of them are. I mean, I'm sure they're all good people. I'm not. I'm not taking away anything from them. But the financial burden for them to invest in technologies to protect people, they don't have an incentive to do that. They have an incentive to develop technologies they can sell, and so the only way to stop that is to eliminate that rule where, I mean, there's got to be some degree of liability at some point. I mean, what point is that? And obviously there's a lot bigger things than this going on. I mean, there's election issues. There's all kinds of things that this technology can be used for to manipulate our society. But I believe we can all get on board with our, the, here's the question, are our kids and at what age are they socially responsible enough to be able to manage this without any limitations. And that's that, that I believe we could all admit that there's things that get that, that are coming through these telephones that they're not responsible enough to handle. Um, and so what do we do about that? Well, as a parent, we've got to, we've got to put some guidelines in place, but some of those guidelines are very difficult to implement with the society that relies in every aspect of this technology to, to transact business. And so um, working through that and figuring that out, I don't have the, I don't have the answer, but I do know that tech companies are not incentivized to help us. That's what I know today. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I'm glad you're speaking directly to that. And hopefully this will begin to raise some awareness and, and hopefully uh, we could see some change. I, I know you, you also highlight uh, parents and you, you just, we're speaking about the responsibility of parents. And I, and I know too, as we were talking before we started recording, you're, you're starting to speak at more churches now, speaking to youth groups. Um, what are some things you, you do say to parents? What would you like to say to parents about this? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the technology is difficult. There are some tools within the technology to make you aware of what's happening within it. It's not, it's not, uh, comprehensive. These kids are really smart and they've got really good ways of getting around your, your limits. Um, so, you know, the things that we want to avoid our kids to, to partake in, I mean, I would say that number one of that, especially with young men is pornography. You know, we look at the statistic and when I say pornography, everybody looks to their neighbor left and right. But the reality is 87% of men today have looked at pornography within the last few months. 47% of men, this is, and this is not outside the church. This is everybody, me, you, everybody included. 47% look at pornography on a regular basis. Well, what's the big deal with that, Brian? Well, the big deal with that is I believe that Walker probably viewed this activity as just an extension of that. Satan does not start with the worst thing that you're going to do. He starts with a very small thing and builds on it. And he grew a seed in Walker of something he thought was innocent that every boy does. And he thought of it that way. And it led him to a place it, it, I, I used in one of our youth meetings with our church. You may have seen it. I talked about our ability to trap hogs. Mm 
Well, those hogs don't just one day run in that trap and just let us trap them. They have to be conditioned. It's a slow process. They're smart. Well, Satan has got all the time in the world for our kids, and that's what he wants. And so my point is that just simply keeping pornography off of a telephone, whether we're talking about an Apple system or one of the others, Android, I mean, it is almost impossible. So that those are the places I want to focus is how can we make it more possible, more acceptable for accessible for us as parents to be able to limit the things we can openly say, Hey, I don't want my kid exposed to that. And there's going to be people out there to say, Brian, all you're doing is sheltering them from what the world has. And it's going to get to at some point that that's fine. You can have that opinion. But my point is, is, and this was the point I made to the kids the other night, when God says be holy because I'm holy, that means something to him. That means something. And that's coming from a dad, from a man that's done everything under the sun that we're talking about. Every bit of it. I've done it. And I'm, and I'm not proud of it. And I wish I hadn't, but I have. And I think if most men were honest, they would agree to the same thing. So that be all that being said is God's calling us to holiness. And am I going to follow God in that, in that quest? Or am I going to say, that's not that important. And I won't. And I would also say that this, I mean, it's hard for me to say that because I almost see my life as before this and after this, before this, I would not have been as aggressive in that conversation. So I'm being, I want to say that with a compassionate position of, I understand where you're at. I've been on both sides of it. And, you know, this is not an easy thing to do. None of this is easy. Uh, But, you know, if I was to say today, what can a parent do? I think I said it in that Fox News interview, and I got a lot of, you know, some feedback that was negative to this. But, you know, a telephone don't need to be in the bedroom. If I'd have just done that, if I would have just done that with Walker and said, hey, I'm going to at night before you go to bed, I'm going to see you with that telephone. I want it. And that gives me an opportunity to monitor what he's looking at, how much time he's spending on apps. That gives us as parents, and I do that every day, I mean, from a standpoint of monitoring, but from an everyday perspective of not letting that phone go places where bad things can happen, I would say that as a parent, you need to be doing that. Well, well thank you for sharing that, and just like you said, to, to be on both sides of it and to um, yeah, just give the perspective that you're giving. It's helpful for us to hear that. And, and yes, I mean, I, I've got five children. I have two teenagers. I know this is a battle uh, for parents, um, but it's worth fighting. Um, I know what we're needing to wrap this up, but I, I did hear you say that you spoke at Walker's funeral and you said it was a message of hope. And um, I'd love for you to share some of what you, you shared there. Yeah, I think the, you know, the reality here is we've got to always, you know, take this back to there's, like I said, there's this secular area we're talking through of the logistics and the technology and all that can feel like just avoid this and you'll be okay. But the reality is all of this lives in a context of time. And that's what I keep hearing from God is, is walkers with me. And for a very brief period of time, Life is a vapor. You don't think it is right now, but it is. It's a very short amount of time. And I'm, I'm just, I know you don't understand, but I'm borrowing him for a little while. Well, I know where Walker is. I know where I'm going to go. I know tomorrow, if, if 
this whole thing comes falling down. I know I'm going to be in the presence of God. And I'm telling the people, I want the people to hear that that message of hope is that there's not but one way to have that reality. And that's through Jesus Christ. That's it. And the reason I know that's the only way, because that's the only message you find in any other, any other religion, any other message of love, period. God simplified it. Jesus simplified it. They said, what should we do? He said, love me and love your neighbor. If that's not right, what is? That's right. Because if we love one another, that is the best model for us living this life in the most fruitful way. And so accepting Jesus as your Savior is the only way to do that because he's the only one that promoted that as the way to him. And so that's what the message was. I put it on my Facebook page. Um, it's still there pinned at the top. It's um, it's a plan of salvation. It's If you don't have Christ as your Savior, ask him into your heart today. Don't, don't wait till tomorrow. You don't know. That tomorrow may not come. We figured that out. We woke up on December 1st. I think about, you know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were looking at that fire and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar heated it seven times. Well, we woke up December 1st, it was heated seven times. And um, we smell like smoke. And, but it's the same God. And um, I know that he's able. And if you, you know, my hope is that, I mean, because at the end of the day, accepting Christ as your savior, as a pathway to God is that's a, do you believe it or not? That's what's every one of us have got to answer. Do I believe there's a God? And if there is, how do I come to know him? And that's the first question you got to answer is, do I believe that? And I'm telling you what I want our lives to represent is there is no other way Brian could be sitting there having this conversation except for God is real. Brian, I, I want to close by asking every listener of this podcast to pray for you and your family. Um, I, I know people will know how to pray, but are there specific ways in which you would ask others to be praying for you and your family? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously pray that we would um, be able to handle this roller coaster ride because there, I would tell you, since we've become more public, um, the highs are higher, but the lows are lower at times. Um, I mean, these kind of interviews, it's a, you know, on one hand, it's encouraging and it's exciting that people are going to get to hear the gospel and people are going to get to come to know Jesus. And some kid out there today that may listen to this or their youth pastor may carry it to them. They're dealing with exactly what Walker's going through and they needed to know that they're not by themselves and that somebody else loves them and that that's not the answer. And hopefully that saves them. And so all that is so encouraging, but us as Walker's family, I want to go home and tell Walker about that. So it's a, it's a circular logic of, I can't go tell Walker about that. Cause that's the reason I've got the platform to talk about it. And so it creates, it's, it, again, the, the highs are higher, the lows are lower. So just help, just pray that that'll start to even out. Um, and, you know, pray that God will take whatever this is platform conversation, me just talking, just pray that, that, that would be, um, we'd be able to handle that in some way that's, that's manageable and still have some resemblance of a life with what we have with our kids and, and, um, yeah, I mean, 
that's that's what I would say. It's just mm-hmm. what I feel. Yeah, and and so I do want to say if you're, if you're listening to this, uh, I want to encourage you not to skip on to the next podcast, not to distract yourself with something else, but please uh, pray for the Montgomerys, Brian. I cannot thank you enough uh, for your vulnerability, for your courage and your strength uh, to come on and, and share Walker's story with us. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I just, yeah, it's um, it's a double-edged sword, but we know that God's in control of that, and He's gonna He's gonna magnify His name, and hopefully His power is seen through our testimony. So, thank you for having us.